Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The great winter feasts of Nativity and Theophany are being completed by us in this period. The double manifestation of our Savior, first as the babe, the infant in the animal's manger, in a cave in Bethlehem, and then later as a grown man in the waters of the Jordan River. What glories are in this feast for us? We who struggle to know God, sometimes at certain phases in our lives, we who struggle to even know that there is a God. So difficult is it because of the confusion in our mind and the way we live. There was a certitude in those who were there at Jordan because they saw manifested something that they had never seen before. John the Baptist pointed to these things. He had been talking about the coming of Messiah. And when he saw his cousin Jesus come to the waters of the Jordan River, he said, this is the one I've been talking about. He saw the Holy Spirit descending upon the Savior as if it were a dove flying down. He doesn't say it was a dove. He said it was like a dove. And then the voice of the Father was heard. This is my beloved Son. There is no one else on earth upon whom these things have been visited except the Son of God which is why we call this Theophania, the manifestation of God. Actually, it is the great Trinitarian feast, because all three persons of the Holy Trinity converge at the moment of Christ coming up out of those waters. The Father, through His voice, the Son, who is there physically before all of them, dripping wet with those waters which He has sanctified, and the Spirit, as if it were a dove. Christ then goes out, and as it says, he is uh, living in Capernaum, which is at the top of the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And those of us who have gone on the pilgrimage every October uh, to see these things, we are amazed because we ourselves are splashing around and dunking in the waters of Jordan, and we ourselves are looking at the town of Capernaum, where it says Christ went. And we are looking at all the shores of that great sea and all the things that we know happened there as the human feet of Christ in his earthly life touched those same stones, those same places. And it is a blessing beyond blessings. We do not hear the gospel in the same way after we have been there. Something very interesting is said characteristically on these feasts. It says, the whole world sees, the whole world understands, and so on and so forth. But you see, the whole world was not there. <laughs> Who was there that day when Christ came to John the Baptist and the forerunner and the prophet? Well, was it even a few thousand people? Maybe even in the hundreds. But not the whole world. But the Church always speaks about the whole world witnessing something through the eyes, the ears, the presence of sometimes a very few people. 
That is why we say that when you and I gather for the liturgy, whether we are two people or two thousand people, it doesn't matter, that through us all humanity is present. And we attend these services and we worship the Savior as we do and worship the All-Holy Trinity as we do in behalf of all mankind. So there is in the Orthodox Church this cosmic dimension and this sense of the unique importance of each person. Because through us, all mankind is blessed. Just as if you put a little bit of salt, a pinch of salt into something, the whole thing is blessed and altered by the presence of that salt. Just a little yeast will take a whole big lump of dough and it will rise. This is the unique importance for us. That's why we pray, not only for ourselves. When we stand in our rooms at home, or when we stand before our icon corner, we don't just pray for ourselves, we begin there. But in the end, we are praying for the whole world and for all mankind. It is this uh, universal sense of responsibility that falls to each baptized person, man, woman, old, young, child, little kid just learning about Christ, uh, the unique importance because the rest of the world is not praying. They are not worshipping the All-Holy Trinity, which they have to do if they are to become eternal. But through us and through our life and the way we speak and the way we live with each other, we Christians, the whole world is supposed to look in on us and say, oh, that is the way. That is the way to go. Now I'm quite sure that if somebody followed me around with a video camera and videotaped me for any day of my life, they'd say, what? What are you talking about? He's not talking, he's not acting as he should. And it's true that we often don't, even though we are baptized. Even though we are receiving the body and blood of our Savior, in which there is immortality. We don't act as if we understood that. We very quickly forget that, and we start speaking to each other and treating each other in ways that are more like pagans than Christians. And sometimes even there are pagans who speak better and act better than we do. So, <clears throat> among the other things, these ears of ours that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, this body of ours into which Christ deigns to enter through Holy Communion, all are sanctified. And therefore we speak in a certain way. Now, some people who have been Christians have interpreted this as the end of all fun. <laughs> you can't have any fun at all in life, and you can't smile, and you can't laugh, and you can't joke. Well, of course, Christians are the ones who do that best of all. Because we're the only ones who understand what this life on earth really is for. So we are the ones who understand context. We should be able to tell the best jokes and get the best laughs of all mankind. But we are also capable of being serious about serious things and being sober when we need to be sober about things. And so it is, how are we raised? In the dynamic of family life. It's the family with the interaction between kids and parents. It's the heart of everything. We always used to say when we had Sunday schools, it was very important for children to come to Sunday school. Go to Sunday school, go to Sunday school. But then we would always call the parents together. We would say, you know... The church has kids for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, for Sunday school, whatever it is, once a week. But you parents have the child seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 
And you are the primary religious educators of your children. And then we would take the older kids and we would say, you are the, the examples, the models for your younger brothers and sisters. They're looking at you. And if you scratch your ear with this finger, they're going to scratch their ear with that finger. And, in, and if you do this or say that, they're going to do it. So what kind of example are you going to be for the younger ones? That's an important question. Because we are all looking at each other, and we are all looking at each other as baptized, communicating Christian men and women, boys and girls, kids, old people, the whole, the whole shebang. And it's very important that we remain conscious of these things. Today, we are still celebrating the Feast of Theophany, when God manifested himself, after which there cannot be any arguments about who he really is. There were plenty of arguments, but those who understood what was going on, it settled the matter for them. Ah, the Father spoke from the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit descended as if it were a bird, a dove. So this is the one. This is the one we are expecting. We hear him. And you know the Russians have that nice expression, to listen with four eyes, four ears, when you are really concentrating and you want to hear every word. You don't want to miss anything. So, that's it. From then on, there were always some people in that part of the world, of the Roman Empire, who listened to Christ with four ears. And we know the names of some of them, don't we, from the New Testament. And the evangelists who write the Gospels, they are the ones who are listening, and then they write down. That is how it must be with us. That we concentrate, that we listen, 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 and then we go home and we apply Christianity in the way we treat one another. That is how it is. And we have to treat each other very well because we are the ones who are told by the same Savior who is God himself that we must even love our enemies. If we must love our enemies, how much, how much more must we cherish those who are uh, near and dear to us? And this is the great lesson of the winter Pascha when Christ is coming down. In the spring, in, in Pascha, Easter, we will be celebrating Pascha in the other direction. He leaves the earth and goes back to heaven. He forms a bridge for us from this life, which ends in death, to immortal life, which never dies at all. And this is what we yearn for. And we thirst for these things. So we are blessing ourselves with the waters that are sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit at the time of this epiphany, this baptism of the Savior in Jordan. And we are taking to ourselves, into our own homes, in 2005, exactly the same blessing that was available to people in the very moment when Christ entered the waters of the Jordan River. No difference at all. It isn't a kind of a half-powered holy water. It's the whole thing, full strength. May God grant that through the multiform blessings that shower down on our heads like the waters, that we may turn to one another and speak to each other as Christian people, speaking the truth in love, rejoicing in one another, forgiving one another, being more patient with one another, speaking with voices that are tempered with kindness and mercy, the same mercy that we seek from our Savior. Amen.